Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to K2. It's a nice greeting. Uh, hey, well, happy Labor Day weekend. Hope you guys have fantastic plans. I told the last service uh, we don't yet, so if you have fantastic plans, we're available, all right? So, but, but fan, make them fantastic, okay? Uh, don't want to be bored. <laughs> anyway, uh, really excited to be with you today. My name is Mike Rutledge. I'm the director of arts, one of the teachers here at K2, and we are between series. We just finished last week uh, a series that we called Radical, and this next week we're starting a new series called Expand, and really excited about uh, what we're going to be talking about in those series. Come next week and you'll hear that. This week, I'm excited because I have the opportunity to share with you whatever I want. And so um, I'm going to talk with you about what I've called, a message that I've titled, Bet on This. And uh, <laughs> bet on this, wow. Uh, anyway, I... When you think of betting, you know, the first things that probably come to mind are, you know, let's go to Wendover um, or, you know, Vegas or uh, I know that I'm, I'm big into college basketball and I, you see the, uh, you know, March Madness pools floating around in the offices and people like to bet for bragging rights or for money, I don't know. But, but you know, what's interesting is that betting is actually an expression that gets thrown around in a lot of idioms that we use in, in our common language, it sort of uh, helps us understand, you know, how much it influences the way we live. You know, uh, something in my house breaks, and I, I'm not very handy that way, and I'll go to, like, Home Depot, and I'll be like, hey, so this happened, and is this going to fix it? And the guy will be like, that's a good bet. And I'm like, you know, that's a good bet, you know. What's my best bet is what I want to know, you know. Or, or um, we, we like to hedge our bets, you know, sometimes when, when we're not sure what, which way we go, we kind of play the middle. We don't want to get too invested in either one. Or uh, we like to guarantee our word by betting, you know, hey, you're going to be coming to the party? You bet. You bet your bottom dollar, I'll be there, right? It's, we, we, it's just sort of the way we express ourselves because it's such a common thing. And such a, it's how we live. We live by betting on stuff. It's, it's the ultimate bet, of course, is when you bet the farm on something, right? And that's just when you're so, you're so certain of the outcome that you're willing to absorb large risk, right? And that happens in life. It happens in actual betting. It happens in all kinds of stuff. The problem with bets, though, is that they're bets. At the end of the day, you just don't know, do you? There's no guarantee. I mean, a bet is called a bet because it's a bet. And, and we just don't know. It's what you think's going to happen, and so you, you play against the middle. I, I started to think about the way this plays out, you know, and, and in American society, actually in the world around us, when you think about it, um, we just have no guarantees, there, there really is no guarantee. We, we, we don't have control over stuff. We like to believe we have control, but we don't. And we don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know what this afternoon holds. You have plans, and you sort of bet that it's going to work out. I started thinking about it, and, uh, you know, we have Trump and Hillary running for president. No idea how that's going to turn out either way, right? And then you have, you know, Brexit just happened. Hate crimes are still happening. Uh, the stock market's always volatile. And the job market is continuing to be increasingly competitive to the point where college students are absorbing huge amounts of debt in order to graduate and hope that they can get a job now that they have all this debt. And there's no guarantee in that. But they're betting that that's going to be the best plan. Or, uh, you know, the... Um, 
Affordable Health Care Act. We bet that that was going to be a good thing. For some people, it has. For some people, it hasn't. Uh, Brazil, I don't know if you saw this. Brazil just ousted their president, Recep, through an impeachment vote. It just happened this weekend. You have Tropical Storm Hermine hitting the East Coast. I mean, we, you, you can say you know, but you don't. None of us knows. And I don't want to be a you know, doomsayer or an alarmist or anything. I'm, uh, you know, I don't, don't go hide in the shelter. But I'm just telling you that in the reality, in the big scope of life, there just aren't guarantees. And what happens tomorrow is all just a bet, right? So I want to ask you a couple questions. When you think about it in terms of your own life and the, and the bets that you've made and how you hoped things were going to pay off, I know that there are some of you probably here today who bet on investing in your future or invest different financial investments, and they've gone great. And now you have this fantastic retirement plan. you got all kinds of savings, and that's been fantastic. But I would also say some of you are in this room, and when the stock market crashed, your future, what you bet on in your future, went away. It's a very common occurrence. You know, maybe some of you bet on a specific career path, thought, well, if I, this is going to be the thing that's going to give me the, the kind of life that I, that I want. And you start down that career path. I know a friend of mine is talking to him, and he, he always refers to one of these jobs. He, he said, I was working at this great company. It was really solid, really secure. And then I, I got an opportunity to work for this dot-com, and it became a dot-bomb. And I was out on the streets looking for a job. It happens. Or some of you, like, you, you took a job, and you're like, that seems good, and things just blew up, and you're like, holy smokes, this is amazing. Or maybe uh, someone else did something at your company, or the world happened, and now they're downsizing, and your career path didn't pay off like you thought it was going to, and the bet failed. Or maybe some of you invested and bet on relationships. And I'd be surprised if anyone in this room didn't have a failed relationship bet at some point in their life. You know, my own life, I would just tell you, I can think of a couple examples, one, one of a bet that paid off and one that didn't. When I was much younger, much more handsome and dashing and charming than I am today, <laughs> which is hard to believe, I know, but there was a day. I met this girl, her name was Susie Jones, and, and uh, I pursued her, tried to figure out how to get a date with her, and finally I did. I asked her out, she said yes. And five months later, I asked her to marry me. And she said yes. And five months after that, we were married. Ten months I knew her. That was a bet. <laughs> 22 years later, we're still together, and it pays off every single day. Yeah. But I'll also tell you that in my life, I've had bets that didn't pay off. We had, we had already had our first child, Elijah, who's now over in Kuwait serving our country, and we were expecting our second. We were going to have a, you know, we had this plan for what kids we were going to have. And I remember Susie giving birth to Destiny Joy, who had no life in her. And that bet did not pay off. And for, well, obviously, even now, the pain of that loss is, is just, it's still there, and it will be for the rest of my life. 
It didn't pay off. And the question we have to wrestle down is, when life doesn't, when the bets that we invest in don't pay off like we hope, what are we going to do? And I come to this passage in Psalm 39, where David says this, Indeed, you have made the length of my days only a few inches. My lifespan is nothing compared to yours. Certainly, everyone alive is like a whisper in the wind. Each person who walks around is like a shadow. They are busy for no reason. They accumulate riches without knowing who will get them. And now, Lord, what am I waiting for? My hope is in you. See, here's David saying, we don't know what the future holds. We know that tomorrow could be the end of everything. I could accumulate all kinds of money, and guess what? I don't get any of it because when I go, that money doesn't go with me. What am I going to hope for? And he says, I'm going to tell you what you should bet, and what you should bet in is hoping in God. And here's what's really interesting, because we like to live a life where we think we know everything that's going to happen, right? That illusion of control we carry. We like to believe that, but we also believe that we, we, we carry that same thought process into our faith. We like to think that faith is knowledge, and it's not. None of us were there at the creation of the world. None of us know, but we believe and hope in that. And that's what David says. My hope, what I'm betting on, isn't this stuff right here. It's you, God. That's where I'm going to put my hope. That's what I'm going to bet on. And in the short time that we have here this morning, I just want to take a look at God's word and understand what his perspective is on all of this stuff that I've been talking about. The Brexit and all of this craziness that's happening and the lack of control and certainty we have. And I want to look at it through a specific person. His name was the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul had a very, very life-transforming moment where he went from being a persecutor of the Christians trying to stop the spread of the Christian faith to becoming the person who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and probably one of the people who propelled the Christian faith into larger circles than any other, any other person historically. And I want to look specifically at his... Uh, he writes two letters, he writes three letters actually to two guys. These guys are Timothy and Titus. And I want to look at these letters that he writes to them because these guys are young pastors in these new churches that are just starting and he's writing to help them understand how to live and how to lead and what, what should we bet on and what should we hope in. And uh, he, during the course of these letters, in all, there are three letters, two to Timothy and one to Titus, we find this statement that reoccurs in all three letters. And it says this, this is a trustworthy statement. And what Paul is saying as he's delivering these statements, he's saying, listen, all this stuff that's going on, you have no control over, you don't know, but let me tell you what you can bet on. If you're going to bet on something, bet on these five things. And I want to look at what Paul delineates to these two pastors as important things to bet on. And the first is this. He says, bet on humility. That's the first. And we find this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. And he says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. 
Now, we could talk about Paul's pedigree, and how, like I just told you, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. How can he be the worst sinner of all, right? Well, when you evaluate in human terms compared to other people, maybe not, but here's what I want you to understand. First of all, God's word is very, very clear on how God views humility and pride. I just, this took me literally about 10 seconds to find these verses, and there are hundreds of them throughout the Bible. Look at this. Uh, Proverbs 3, the Lord mocks the mockers, but is gracious to the humble. Psalm 138, though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble but he keeps his distance from the proud. Matthew 23, Jesus talking says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Paul is saying, Jesus Christ came to save us and we didn't deserve it and mostly the first person in line for the not deserve award is me. See, because he didn't have a human perspective on what it meant to be humble, he had an eternal godly perspective. When you look at Satan and the reason Satan was thrown out of heaven, you know why? Because he didn't want to be second in charge. What we learn when we read the Old Testament, he was the number two guy, right? But he said, I don't want to be number two. I want to be number one. And God said, well, you can't be. <laughs> He's thrown out of heaven. And I want you to know that Satan's downfall was pride, and our downfall is also pride. pride how's it go? Pride comes before the? The fall. We, we all know this, right? We like to say it. We don't like to live it, though, because it's hard. It's hard not to be prideful. I'll just tell you. Here's a little secret. I shared it with the last group, and I'll tell you guys, too. Let's just keep it here. I struggle with pride. Oh, yeah, you do, too. It's hard. Step one. Here, here's what's important. Step one is understanding that you need to be humble enough to know you need a savior. And pride prevents you from knowing that you need a savior. And Paul's saying, you gotta understand something. Jesus Christ came to save us and this guy right here needs a savior and so do all of we. But when we're prideful, we don't know that. We don't believe it and we don't live that way. We set our, pride sets us up as God and sets us in opposition, just like Satan, to God. I love this story. You, you, I'm sure you've heard it's a story of, of uh, the, Jesus going to a Pharisee's house for dinner. And uh, if you know anything about Pharisees, Pharisees were the religious leaders of the time. They were the guys who they had it all together. They had all the rules. They knew how to follow them. They knew how many steps they could take on certain days and what they could eat and what they couldn't eat. And all, they just had all this stuff. And everyone viewed them as these are the guys who got it. They're going to heaven. They're the good guys, right? Well, he gets invited, Jesus does, gets invited to go over to the one, this Pharisee's house. And the Pharisee, uh, is a common greeting in the day was to wash the feet because dusty travel. In the, in the roads to wash the visitor's feet and anoint their head with oil as a, as a greeting. Now, this Pharisee doesn't do that. And then what happens is this, as we're told, notoriously immoral woman enters in. She had a reputation. People knew about her, this girl. And she enters in and she falls with complete humility at the feet of Jesus knowing her own lack of value, pouring tears from her eyes on Jesus' feet, and the tears wash the dirt off, and she dries her, his feet with her hair, and she takes this alabaster jar, which they speculate may have been as much as a year's worth of wages 
in value. She breaks the bottle and pours it on Jesus to anoint him. He, let me just, and, then, and then, then this happens, and it's really amazing. The Pharisee has this thought. He doesn't even say it out loud. He just has a thought. And his thought was this. Dude, if Jesus is all that in a bag of chips, he would know this notoriously immoral woman is touching him, and he would stop her, right? He has this thought, and Jesus responds to it out loud and says this. We see this in Luke 7. I tell you, her sins, oh, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows little love. Let me just help you understand something. We see very clearly this woman was a broken woman, and she was aware of it. She got it. She didn't care about what anyone in the room thought. She cared about what Jesus thought, and she was willing to throw herself at his feet and give her riches to him because she thought that was her best bet. And she could love because she knew she'd been forgiven. Now let's flip the script here. Who didn't know he was loved? Or who couldn't love, I mean? The Pharisee. You know why? Because he didn't believe he was forgiven much. He had his rules and regulations and he knew how to live the right way. He didn't need Jesus. He could do it all on his own. See, humility not only affects our ability to connect with God, though, it affects our ability to love others and be in relationship with each other. You know, I, I, uh, I'm a huge Toad the Wet Sprocket. Any Toad the Wet Sprocket fans? A couple. Well, you're, okay, you're missing it, so they're great, okay? So. But here's what's really interesting. I was really glad we did this opening song, and that's actually a new release. A new, they, 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 uh, Toad the Wet Sprocket, um, it's very interesting. The lead singer, Glenn Phillips, joined the band when he was 16 years old, and that band got signed to Capitol Records. This young kid, yeah, this, but this is, this is back in the day, way back, okay? So he gets signed to this, this deal. He's, a, you know, this teenager, and they do five records, and then they break up. And they go 16 years until they release a second record. And they were, he was just giving an interview. They just released that song just in the last few years. And he was giving an interview, and they, a, they were asking him, how are you able to get back together and start recording and all that kind of stuff? And he says this, and I'm just going to read it to you, but it's really, really cool. He says this, the thing that enabled us to get back together was that everybody saw how lucky we were. We got some gratitude back, you know. When the very first band you have ends up getting signed, and you end up doing well, you just assume you can walk in and on any situation and do well. I think the final kick was when the band broke up. I found myself in my mid-20s unable to get a record deal. A big shift happened when I fell through a glass-top coffee table. I sliced the ulnar nerve in my le left arm. I had to basically start from scratch on relearning the guitar. I had to get a little humble. And the rest of the band had to really be patient and show up and cover the parts I couldn't play. For all of us, since we didn't get our hard knocks on the way up, to get hard knock, some hard knocks in the interim and get some perspective on how life actually works was needed. And he talks about how they, before they broke up, they were showing and no one was willing to go an extra mile because they were important people. They wouldn't, ex they wouldn't do extra and then they get dropped and he realizes, you know what? We weren't so special as we thought. And they had to get back together. They had to reconcile their own personal differences that came from pride and they had to try and figure out how to make this work as a, as a unit. I'm just telling you guys, pride not only affects your ability to relate to God, it affects your ability to relate with each other.
and is damaging in your, to yourself. The second thing he says to bet on, though, is this. Bet on humility first, but then he says bet on change. Now, this one comes from Titus. He's writing to Titus now, the second uh, pastor. And he says this, Titus chapter 3, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement. Okay, it's a mouthful. Here's the first thing I want you to know, though, before I go any further. The first thing is this. Bet on change, but change doesn't happen in order for us to earn God's grace. Change happens as a result of God's grace entering our life. And you want to know what's really cool? He says it right here. He says, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy... And these people became different people, but he says, and he pouring out the Holy Spirit generously. What's he saying there? He's saying, your change will happen when grace comes into your life, and I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, which is actually going to help that change happen. You know, you, know, you know this in your own life when stuff's going on, and you're like, man, I shouldn't be doing this. I don't know. Guess who that is? That's the Holy Spirit working in you. Now, for all of you, I want you to understand, I can't say this strongly enough, change doesn't earn God's grace. Change comes as a result of God's grace. Okay? That's the first thing I want you to understand. But here's, what I, here, here's some important stuff. So Titus was left to lead this church about 63 A.D., right? 63 A.D. was kind of a hotbed of time, you know, a Christian, uh, uh, being a Christian wasn't so popular back then, you know, uh, anti anti-Christian sentiment is growing, uh, starting to face persecution, all this stuff's happening, and Titus is leading this church in Crete, which is just a Greek island, a Mediterranean island out there. It's still there, you go visit it. But here's what's interesting about, about the Cretans back in the first century. They were known for and notorious for being untruthful and immoral. Now, uh, you've probably heard the term Cretan, but he, he, Paul, in writing this in, first, or in Titus chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, he quotes Epimenides, who is a prophet from Crete, who says, they're notoriously liars and immoral people. And he's quoting them. They have a reputation, a self-proclaimed reputation as immoral liars, to the point where the term to act the Cretan became an idiom meaning to play the liar. Right? You've, I don't know if anyone's ever called you a Cretan. They're not complimenting you. Okay? <laughs> the also, to cretize became a verb that was used that meant to lie or cheat. So you're cretizing. Don't stop cretizing. All right? So that's their reputation. And I just read how Paul talks about change had come into their life and produced all this great stuff. But look at the verse before this. It says this, Titus chapter 3, verse 3. This is the verse right before I just read. says, once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of envy and evil, and we hated each other. But Jesus saved us, gave us the Holy Spirit, and we're changed. And if you want to bet on something, 
bet on change coming as a result of receiving the grace of God in your life. That's the second bet that the apostle Paul tells them to bet on. The third is this, bet on others, or maybe I would say it this way, bet on serving others, bet on putting others first, bet on investing in others. Look at this, this is Timothy, 1 Timothy again. This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. Or some, some translations, if someone wants to be a leader, you know, go, go into leadership, that's an honorable position. Here's the thing about greatness and honor. In human terms, we think that greatness and honor equals accolades and praise and notoriety, right? You know, LeBron James, oh, I want to put a poster of him so I can look at him in the morning. Look it up. And he can sign things. I was writing on things. Right? That's what we think of when we think of greatness. But in God's economy, greatness is not that at all. Greatness is someone who's willing to invest in others. It's really interesting. I want you to understand this is not easy. And you will never be able to serve others very well until you get the humility thing a little bit under control, which is a daily battle. But I want to read an interesting passage to you. I, I, I want you to first understand it is difficult, and it's not just difficult for you and me. It was difficult for the disciples who walked around with Jesus, okay? Look at this passage in Mark chapter 9. It says this. After they had arrived at Capernaum, they settled in a house. Jesus asked the disciples, what were we discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them would be the greatest. He sat down, he gave him the sit-down talk. You know, when dad gives you the sit-down, let's, let's come in here and sit down. <laughs> he sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must, be the, must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. So Jesus says, let me just tell you something. Let me tell you what leadership is. Let me tell you what greatness is. Let me tell you what honor is. It's someone who wants to put themselves last and serve others. Bet on that. Here's what's, here's what's really interesting. You want to know how hard it is? Next chapter, Jesus has the sit-down talk with them. James and John, who are the sons of thunder, they're called. They were a dynamic wrestling team, I think. That's why they call, called it. Or maybe a rock band, I'm not sure. <laughs> they start talking and they go to Jesus because they... They like what he had to say, and they go, hey, you know, it's kind of like this. I can envision it. Hey, Jesus, man, good stuff. Man, I don't know where you get your stuff. Top, top shelf. That talk about, like, being last, amazing. Whew. I just, so good. So, so good. So we were thinking, though, remember, one chapter later, we were thinking, uh, when you build your kingdom, and I think that they were actually probably thinking about an earthly king. At this, at this time, they may have still been thinking he might be coming to build an earthly kingdom. When you do that, um, we were thinking that we could be one on each side of your throne. What do you say? <laughs> and here's what's true. It's not just those two that miss it. Because look at this passage. One chapter later, when the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. They're like, holy smokes, hey, they're getting ahead of us. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. 
Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ came not to be served, the only man to live a perfect life. He said, the most important thing I can do is not be served, but serve others and help them find the right way. And if you want to bet on something, bet on others. That's the third thing he tells us. The fourth is this, bet on godliness, and I won't belabor this point because it's pretty obvious. 1 Timothy 4. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. So first of all, what he's not saying is being healthy, working out, eating well, that's bad stuff. He's not saying that. He's actually saying it's good for you. You should do that. Some of us probably should, should do more than we do even maybe, okay? But what he's saying is as good as that is for you, You know what's really good for you? You know what's better than that for you? Godliness. And he says it holds promise for both the present life and the life to come. One of my favorite bands, King's X, wrote a song, He's Not Just for the Dead. And so often I think we have this mindset that Jesus Christ came to save us so eventually we'll get to heaven. That's, our, that's it. One day we'll get to heaven and things will be good. But this verse clearly tells us the promise is for heaven and it's also to live the full life now. Jesus came to give us life and life to the full, John 10, 10. And that life is a life that starts today and the biblical principles that he teaches are going to benefit you in this life and also take you into the afterlife Let me just say it this way. If you wake up in the morning and you only have time to either work out or spend time with God, think about that. Just think about it. The fifth one is this. Though, so we have bet on humility, bet on change, bet on others, bet on godliness, and the, and the last one is this, bet on faith. Now, this one's really interesting because he writes, this is to, to Timothy again. It's 2 Timothy. And um, he writes, Timothy was a pastor at a church in Ephesus, with, which is uh, modern-day Turkey. He writes this at 67 AD, so five years after his first letter and four years after his letter to Titus. And uh, it's very different circumstance than it was when he wrote his first letter. Um, in, in, in 1 Timothy, Paul was actually in jail, but he was under, only under house arrest, so he kind of had some freedom. He could come and go. People could come visit him. And he was simply awaiting his release. He, he knew he was going to be released, and he was awaiting his release. And uh, so he writes this letter knowing that he's going to be re- released at some point. 2 Timothy is not the case. And as you read through 2 Timothy, you have all these little clues that he drops in to help you understand the circumstances under which he writes it. He, it's, it says this. He was abandoned and unsupported at his arrest in in chapter 1, verse 15. He was abandoned at his first defense before the imperial court. We see that in chapter 4, verse 16. Because they feared for their lives, the Christians were uh, afraid because of their faith that they were going to be killed. And now Paul is in a cold prison cell, a Roman prison cell, chapter 4, verse 13, chained like a criminal, 2, verse 9, with no hope of acquittal despite his successful defense of himself in chapter 4, verse 6, 17 and 18. Okay, so Paul writes his second letter. Now he's in jail, awaiting his death, pretty much. 
He's not going to be released. He successfully defended himself. It doesn't matter. 67 AD. Now the plot thickens. Because you, you, know you know who was emperor at that time? This guy named Nero. You know what Nero's claim to fame is? Well, Nero was the unbalanced uh, emperor of Rome from, from 58 to 64. And in July of 64, he burned Rome, half of Rome to the ground. Guess who he blamed? The Christians, making Christianity what they called religio illicito, or illegal. And the persecution of anyone who claimed to be a follower of Jesus became extremely severe. Paul's in jail, chained. Good time to change your tune. You know what? <laughs> this isn't really working out. If I just renounce what I believe, I could probably have some freedoms back. I could get, get the good life, maybe get a better job, blah, blah, blah. Right? Good time to change, right? No, no. It's time to double down on that bet in Paul's eyes. And here's the statement that he makes, 2 Timothy 2. Here's a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Bet on faith. And Paul wants you to bet on faith in two ways. Bet on God's faithfulness. That's the first thing. That even it says, look at, uh, if, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. See, when God makes a promise to you and you receive that promise into your life, he will carry that out to the end because he can't deny himself. That's a bet worth betting on. That's the first thing. But he also says, bet on your own faithfulness. Don't quit when things get hard. Carry it out to the end. See if all of this stuff comes true by going all in, even at the difficult times. And I heard this guy named Dana Key one time say, you know what, I'm, I'm not praying for, I'm not praying for, you know, uh, persecution to come back, but I am praying for revival. And the reality is, if any of us were tested with the kind of severe treatment that Paul received and the Christians in this time received, would we be able to stand? Would we, would we be willing to say, I'm gonna bet on God over all of the difficult circumstances? So what I wanna do, I'm gonna close today and we're gonna invite the band up here. We're gonna transition into some music in just a second, but I wanna just help you understand a couple things. At the end of the day, all this being said, Paul tells you to bet on humility. He tells you to bet on change, bet on others, bet on godliness, bet on faith. And at, at, after all that's said and done, you have three responses. And they're actually kind of all the same. The first is maybe you're here today and you're like, all bets off. Not in. I'm not going to take that risk. I don't want to have that kind of, have to deal with that kind of stuff. I don't have to sacrifice this kind of, I'm out. All bets off. I'm going to put my bet in other things and put it in myself, put it in my future, put it in my finances, put it in my relationships. You can do that. The second option you have is to hedge your bets. And I think if, if, if I'm honest, so many of us in areas of our life, this is how we live. 
We have areas and we're like, man, I, I believe in Jesus and I, I, I think I, I, I trust him, but I don't want to have to change my behavior. I, I don't, honestly, I don't really want to stop sleeping with my boyfriend or girlfriend or I don't want to trust God with my money. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to have to treat other people. I don't want to have to have humility. I don't want to put others first. The problem, I'll just tell you, with hedging bets is that the result of your effort is about none. The blessings that come from God are promised in your obedience to Him. Right? He's not going to take away your salvation, but you're not going to experience this life now and after. And the third one is this, and actually, no matter what, you, if, you, if you're one of the other two, you're still doing this. Betting your life. Now you're either betting it on God or you're betting it on something else, but make no mistake about it, you're betting your life. I just wanna ask you this morning as, as, as we close and transition into some music here, chance to respond through music. Is there something, an area in your life where you're like, man, you know, you know what, right, you're on to something. I got some stuff, man. I'm not willing to take that first step. I haven't, I haven't given God the first chance to produce faith in me. Or I, I see these areas in my life where I'm just, I'm not all in. I'm not seeing the result of what he's promised, and I'm not really just kind of living in the middle. Is Paul onto something you think maybe? At the end of the day, if we just bet our lives on God and his goodness and all of the things he promises us, could that be the very thing that could bring us the life we desire in the, in the end? I'm gonna invite our greeters too. Just we're gonna take, take our offering. And again, I'll just tell you guys, I'm just saying it out loud. So many of us struggle financially to believe the principle that God says, if you trust me with your finances, I will take care of you. You will be better trusting me with 90% of your income and tithing to me than you will with 100% with outside of God's blessing. I'm just telling you, I've seen it in my life over and over. That's up to you to decide. But we're gonna pray and take the offering and then Emily and the band are going to lead us in worship. And one of the songs we're doing is this hymn you all know, It Is Well With My Soul. And I'll, do, I'll tell you this. There's no way to say it's well with my soul when you're trusting in yourself or your circumstances. Only when you can put your trust and put your bet in something bigger than you. You guys pray with me. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful for your love and your... your faith and you, you express faith in us even. You give us an opportunity to respond and our pride prevents us from doing that and we put ourselves in front of others and we try and meet our own needs and we play God instead of letting you be God and we over and over this scenario just plays out. Please forgive us. Help us. Draw us in. If we're struggling with something, I pray the Holy Spirit would convict and for those who those of us that are here today that haven't even taken that first step in believing, I pray that you would just poke their hearts so that they feel like they had to take a step in trusting you.
Again, we love you and we're so grateful for you. We ask this in your name.